It's the Adam Ritz Show, a social awareness talk show touching on fellowship, leadership, philanthropy, and more. Adam hosts the show on location from coast to coast, interviewing college students, student athletes, campus administrators, professional athletes, and social experts about social issues ranging from bullying to Twitter and everything in between. And now, it's your social awareness radio host, Adam Ritz. I'm Adam Ritz, and today we're on the campus of Tulane University in New Orleans, and we are broadcasting in front of this beautiful live studio audience. All right. Thank you so much for that round of applause. We are on campus today at Tulane to honor a student organization for their work that they do with cystic fibrosis. We bring on the show now Kobe. Hi, Kobe. How are you? Doing very well. Thank you. What is it that you uh, do? I heard uh, this philanthropy that you're part of, that you actually started this. This is impressive. I want to hear all about this. What is it? Uh, so my sister Emily has cystic fibrosis, which is a life-threatening progressive lung disease. Um, she has 35% lung function, and as I've gotten older, it's become clear to me that I need to do everything in my power to help her. So 15 months ago, I launched a video um, kind of just explaining my sister's daily challenges and all that she's done despite those challenges. She does three to four hours of treatment a day, takes over 30 pills, uh, and despite all that, she graduated from Penn with honors. She works full-time. She's getting a master's. So we launched this video, and within one week, we raised over $40,000. Um, and that's when I realized that we were kind of onto something big. So we brought it to Tulane. Um, last spring, we held a fundraiser. We sold tank tops. We ended up selling over 1,100 tank tops, which is a one in seven uh, Tulane students. So the tank top was a ticket to our party. We really tried to appeal to a college audience, and it was a huge success. We raised over $13,000. Um, so we're doing the same thing here this semester, <clears throat> and that, this concept, this model has spread now to five other college campuses. Uh, it's really starting to take off. We've raised a half of a million dollars in 15 months now. Holy cow. Let's have a round of applause for that half a million. Holy cow. That is unbelievably impressive that you took it upon yourself to uh, get involved with like that, uh, get involved with this, and, and it's spreading. It's it's going national, so it's not just here at Tulane. It's uh, what are the other five campuses? Uh, we're on NYU. We're actually uh, involved in the Greek Week at Michigan, which could be another uh, twenty to twenty-five thousand dollars. Arizona and uh, Delaware. That's that's yeah. fantastic. Well, I speak to a lot of college audiences, and I'd be happy to spread the message uh, coast to coast about Emily's entourage. Um, what are the digital properties? A Facebook page, maybe? Yeah, we're on Facebook. What we do is we sell the tank tops, and people take a picture of themselves uh, in an iconic location or in a goofy pose, throw it up on the page. We actually just got one from the Taj Mahal a couple of days ago. Cool. Uh, yeah, so it's been very cool. Well, let me tell you, too, that uh, as a spokesperson... You did a fantastic job, I mean, explaining this. You, you need to have your own radio show, and I need to be on your show. <laughs> Thank you very much. The last thing I just want to stress is that it's, <laughs> it's because of the support of like, college students, um, understanding what it's like being on a college campus, and we have this inherent power that we can come together and truly make a difference. Um, SAE held a powder puff for Emily's Entourage last spring. They're doing it again this spring. Um, so I really encourage you guys to get tank tops, come to the party. Just a huge party. Everyone sports their tank, looks good, feels good, and raises a whole ton of money. So, yeah. Well, that's fantastic. It's inspiring to hear about young people getting involved in their communities and getting involved uh, with community service projects and philanthropies. Again, it's Emily's Entourage for Cystic Fibrosis. Yes, Kobe, thank you so much uh, for your service and your work. Let's have a round of applause for everybody here at Tulane University. 
Adam Ritz is a media personality and keynote speaker, interviewing amazing people from coast to coast. Follow him on Twitter at Adam Ritz or listen to him now on The Adam Ritz Show. Thank you so much for hanging out with The Adam Ritz Show as we continue from Wichita Falls, Texas. I'm on the campus of Midwestern State University with head football coach Bill Maskell. Hi, Bill. How are you? Good, good. Glad to be able to visit with you tonight, Adam. We are on campus to uh, honor you and your uh, student-athletes, the football players, for your community service. Tell us about some of the service projects you guys have. Well, two of the most recent things that we did uh, was Friday night. We always do something on the eve or the morning of our spring game. We divided up our teams, uh, our our, teams, entire team into a maroon gold scrimmage okay half of the team went down to straight street which is a ministry for underprivileged inner city kids and we sat there and played games with them for uh we were supposed to go about an hour and our kids got so excited about what they were doing that we stayed two hours and then the other half uh went for relay for life uh on campus here where they were uh, uh kids were walking and running and what have you for uh, for cancer uh, survivors? That's great. How do how do your players respond when when the head coach says, um, you know, I, I can guess how they respond when you say do a, do more sit ups, do more calisthenics, lift more weights, practice harder. How do they respond when you say, hey guys, guess what? We're going to get involved with community service. Well, what we try to tell them is that you know we want to give back to the community. Uh, we've got extraordinary talent for our level. Uh, some people don't have the abilities to to do what we do. Uh, let's go see if we can't give something back to the community. And in doing that, we've made friends with the community, and then people come out and watch us. And and then and then as as you speak about tonight, then we've got to we've got to be able to 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 continue to be good citizens within the community as well. So you, you do see that in the uh, in the stands. The oh, you yeah, know you help yeah. them, they help you. They show up to the games and cheer you on. We our quarterback is one of our quarterbacks is from Wichita Falls, and he's got a little nephew that. That he might he can't be more than two feet high, three feet maybe, and he's twelve years old. But he's really really uh, sharp, really sharp. And and he was the last kid I talked to on uh, uh, on Friday night. And he said, uh, "Well, I want to come watch you guys play. This is where our game is tomorrow night." And they they had a big thing at Straight Street downtown uh, Saturday night. They had a uh, hip hop uh, rapper and this <laughs> and that and the other. He says, "I'll be there." And there was another little girl that was right there with him. She says, "Can I come with you?" She said, well, no, she said, how much does it cost? We said, it's free. So the two of them, mom, dad, uncle, somebody brought them. And my wife, who was that, went down and took pictures, uh, she said she saw the little guy afterwards. So he was all excited about it. Of course, he had vested interest with, with his nephew that, or his uncle that was, playing, that was here. So, but, I, but I think that uh, uh, the lady that ran the Straight Street, her son is, is a rising high school senior, that she wants us to look at to recruit. Okay. So, I mean, in a, in, and we're 100,000 people in the community, but it's a small 100,000 people. And uh, it's we go, we do in the fall, we go read to the elementary kids. Uh, we've done a cleanups, uh, we, you, know, you name it, we've tried to get involved in well, it. Well, good. That's inspirational for our listening audience to hear that uh, there are college kids across the country that – don't just care about sports or their degree or their college, but they care about their community too. Bill Maskell is our guest. He's the head football coach at Midwestern State University. We're in Wichita Falls, Kansas. I'm sorry, Wichita Falls, Texas. Uh, I still got I've got Wichita State on the brain from yeah, the, from March yeah, Madness. Um, how? Where are we? We're like two hours outside of Dallas. Yeah, we're we're two hours hour and forty minutes north of the Dallas Fort Worth airport. We'd be northwest of Denton. We're, we're 
we call the Metroplex, Dallas, Fort Worth. We're you're part, part of Dallas, uh, Fort Worth. Okay. Yeah. And uh, your coaching stops along the way. Settle a, a, a bet I have in my own head with myself. Uh, you were telling me you've coached at Vanderbilt. Um, what are some of the other Division One programs you coached with? Well, prior to Vanderbilt, and, and you got to understand what I'm getting ready to tell you, is we've moved uh, some by design, some not by design. Okay, I got Coaching, you. you win, you keep going. Sometimes you lose and you don't keep going. <laughs> but we, uh, my wife counted up one time we'd made 22 moves. Wow. Uh, and that, some of those are double moves, okay. but, you know, maybe 12 or 13 places, colleges. But we coached uh, before Vanderbilt, uh, Wake Forest. Before Wake, I was head coach at Southeast Missouri in Cape Girardeau, where Rush Limbaugh is from. Okay. Uh, before that, we were at Oregon for five years. Oregon, okay. Before that, we were at Tulane for two years. Uh, before that, we were at Louisville for a year. Before that, we were at Arizona State for two years. And before that, we were at uh, Vanderbilt for four years. So okay. we've, we've kind of did the Vanderbilt gig twice. Vanderbilt, Wake Forest, Arizona State, Oregon. I'm hearing some pretty big D1 college programs. And I have this sort of theory in my head that um you know division two division three student athletes especially in football um there's really not that much of a difference division one gets all the attention and they've got the huge stadiums but you've got is this is midwestern state university division two or three yeah, division two division two so your players i've met some of them today they're still we're talking six foot seven i've seen some you know some guys that were just as big and strong as people i've met in the nfl oh yeah We've there's got, that much talent out there in america one of our players uh played the 2011 season was the eighth pick of the second round started all the games for the carolina panthers last year and made all rookie team this year so coming out of division two that's we're pretty proud of that that's awesome did he what was his name uh, amini silatulu Okay, did he, at this level, just clean up? He was really good. He, I mean, he, i got to believe, if you can hang in the NFL with that elite, that in Division II, you're just cleaning up with your eyes well, closed. Well, he was dominant. He yeah. was dominant. But, uh, and we it was got, all coaching. It was all coaching. Well, I don't know about that. He was pretty good. He, 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 he played. He signed with uh, Reno out of, out of Journey College and didn't get his grades. And then we kind of hung with him, and then all of a sudden he couldn't go to Reno because his clock was ticking. And, he made a visit here in central Missouri, and he chose here, and, and he was came in, and right away he was a really good player. That's great to hear. I love, I love hearing these football stories. Um, but mainly we love hearing about your community service as well on this Social Awareness Radio Show. So, Bill Maskell, head coach at Midwestern State University, thank you so much for coming on and uh, spending some time with us. Thank well, you. We appreciate it. Thanks for having us, and look forward to having you back. Get to know Adam at adamritz.com. Get to know the radio show at adamritzshow.com. Thanks for joining us on the Adam Ritz Show. It's Social Awareness Radio where we travel the country to meet interesting people and talk about their uh, causes and their groups and their organizations, and we uh, have found a pretty special uh, organization here at Susquehanna University. We're in Susquehanna, Pennsylvania. We're with an All-American lacrosse player. This is Emily Stankaitis. Hi, Emily. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic, and you are uh, a student leader, athlete, um, involved with something called SU FACT, SU for Susquehanna University. FACT meaning? Female Athletic Connection Team. Okay, now I heard a little bit about this um, in your uh, athletic director's office, and I want to learn most of it from you. And I'm going to uh, categorize this as a mentoring uh, uh, program. You network with, uh, I guess, alumni. How does this work? Tell us what it means, female athlete connection team, and what you guys do with it. So basically we started up this program um, a year or two back, and what we're looking to do 
is to have a way to mentor the incoming student athletes all the way up through till they graduate and then beyond that as well. So we'd like to connect um, incoming freshmen with the alumni so that they can gain experience and learn from what the older members of this group have to offer, um, especially in terms of learning how to balance academics and athletics and everything else that comes along with being a college student. Um, we have it a little different because we have that athletic component, so it's something else that not um, anybody else on campus is going to experience except for the athletes. So it's a good support system there, and we try to pair up. So this is something we've just started. Um, we've been pairing up incoming freshmen with an upperclassman so that they can go to them with any questions that they have at all. So it really is a cool mentoring system. And then the next year, the freshmen will then become a new mentor for the new people coming in. Okay, so it's not, um, or maybe it is. The freshmen are hooked up with an upperclassman. Mm -hmm. um, are there alumni that also come back? So let's say a 30-year-old uh, graduate of Susquehanna University who's working in corporate America that was on the lacrosse team or was a student athlete here, she comes back to campus and now she mentors um, both the senior and the freshman. Mm -hmm. they, uh, the alumni mentor indirectly. They're not specifically paired up with somebody who's already on campus. Um, but we have events in the fall and in the spring where we bring our alumni back on campus and we host these events where we can have anybody, especially the freshmen, um, go mingle with these um, alumni and exchange numbers and talk about resume building and what to do in interviews and how to um, market yourself as a student athlete. So it's, it's really cool and beneficial. Emily Stankaitis is our guest at Susquehanna University talking about the uh, female athlete Action. So, oh, it was like the female action team, the female athletic connection team. And this didn't exist when you were a freshman. Correct. And now you are what year? I'm a senior. Okay, so do you mentor, do you have a freshman under your wings? Um, I did not get a freshman because she quit her sport before she got here, so I wasn't able to have one, but I have a lot of friends who have mentored, and they've okay. loved it. And, and this is, like, you're uh, one of the student athletes that are uh, you're on the leadership board, the committee that, that runs this thing, right? The, yes. Are you the president of FACT? No, I or? don't think so. It's, uh, <laughs> it's not really like that. It's more of a democracy within the people who are involved okay. on the board. The way it should be. Well, it's great to learn about this program and the mentoring. It, it's, uh, we hear about mentoring programs. They really help. And I'm sure, uh, top of your head, hate to put you on the spot, but what are some of the success stories here on campus with um, some of your freshmen that maybe would have thrown in the towel, quit their sport, gone home, because they're just having a rough time on campus, not connecting. Um, but uh, a senior steps in, mentors, they get through their problems together, and, and now that uh, freshman goes on to flourish in college. I mean, when freshmen come in, oftentimes, when they have somebody to look up to, they put them on such a high pedestal and see what they've done, and they see that how other people can accomplish great things, and they kind of use that as a motivation to keep going and to keep trying and to keep pushing through it, even though it does seem hard, especially at first, because the freshmen have to learn how to balance everything in their schedule because they've been thrown into a completely new environment, but... It's really, I believe, helped to keep our freshmen on our team for sure because they've been able to connect with other student athletes and they're not. Another thing is this, the mentors are not in the same sports team that the freshman is currently playing. So it's developing like an intersport relationship okay. too. So we'll go support other teams and they'll know people on other teams and it builds up. Um, all of our sports teams here, really. Uh, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. Okay, now I can't let you go without talking about your sport, lacrosse. Emily Stankaitis, you are an All-American lacrosse player. Um, when did you know you were awesome at this? And tell us about your, you know, your best moment on the field. 
don't don't be modest. Don't look at me like uh, you know you're awesome at this. You're an all-American. Um, I always put a lot of hard work into what I do. Um, I don't know. I look up to Michael Jordan and the things that he's done with his life. And when people tell him he can't do it, he works even harder to kind of prove them wrong. And that's kind of what I've always done. Just a lot of hard work and practice goes into everything that I've done. I don't know if there was a moment where I realized I was awesome. But How old I, were you when you started playing lacrosse? I started lacrosse in fourth grade, so I was pretty young. Um, I didn't start playing goalie until eighth grade, but I've loved it ever since. All uh, right. Well, we wish you the best of luck. And I uh, love hearing about your all-Americanship. Do you have like a, a hat that says all-American where you walk around campus no, and you're like, look at me? That. No, I don't have well, one. We've got to get you a hat or something yeah, that I'll says all-American. I'll work on it. <laughs> and uh, we appreciate your work with the mentoring program, uh, SU Fact. It's Susquehanna University Female Athlete Connection Team. Emily, thank you for being on the show. Thank you very much. Get socially technical with The Adam Ritz Show. Facebook, Adam Ritz Show. Twitter, at Adam Ritz. It's social technically. Thank you so much for tuning in to the show. We uh, have a great guest with us now. I'm at the National Convention of the AFLV with Mike Dilbeck. Hi, Mike. How are you? Hello. I'm great. Thanks for having me. And right off the bat, I have to comment on this radio voice that you have. Let me, uh, let me have some of that sugar. I love it. Thank you. I, I've never been told that. Maybe I should go into radio. I don't believe that no one's ever told you that you have a radio voice. They say I have a good speaking voice. I don't know if I've ever been told I have a good radio voice. Wow. Maybe I missed my calling. 20 years in radio, I'm telling you, you have a great wow. radio voice. So this is the launch of the Mike Dilbeck Show. You heard it here. <laughs> <laughs> Mike is a, um, an expert in uh, sort of a new field, at least from my perspective, called bystander behavior. And if you haven't heard of this term yet, you soon will. It's kind of like if you if you there's a new car on the road. You've never heard of this car. You, you see the you see a new Fiat. Your friend buys a Fiat. Guess what? You're going to see a Fiat everywhere. From from this point forward, you're going to hear the term bystander behavior wherever you go. And Mike, tell us a little bit more uh, about this term, what it means, and what you do with this uh, industry of bystander behavior. Well, you're right, um, Adam. It is a new phenomenon that's being talked more and more about today. Because I think for many years, we always talk about the perpetrators to bad behaviors, those that cause the bad behaviors, whatever we see in life. You know, it could be a behavior. It could be somebody saying something inappropriate. But then we also also talk about the victim to what is happening. But we hardly ever talk about the third party, the person, the observer, the person who sees it, they hear about it. They have an opportunity in that moment to do something to intervene, but they don't. And that really is capturing bystander behavior. It's the behavior of the bystander, mm -hmm. of the observer. And we have all been bystanders in our life. How has it changed um, in the high-risk demographic of a, of a, let's say, a 20-year-old from 18 to 24? The, that demographic, um, how has it changed with this term? And, and is it sinking in? Are the, is this high-risk demographic speaking up when they see things go awry? Uh, I know I've heard about this term a lot with, um, with dating violence. If you see a volatile relationship, you should darn well speak up before somebody gets hurt or worse. I think my personal feeling is that it has helped. Now, I don't know if we're just simply making a small dent because it's a huge problem. It's an international problem. I mean, it's a, it's a human being problem that we all deal with, right? So and it's a very hard thing to assess. You, it's hard to pinpoint when you do intervene, what had you intervene? What, you know, was it your values? Was it, you know, a speech you just heard or a radio program you just, you know, came across? What is it that contributed to that? So it's a hard thing to assess if we're making the difference we want to make. But I honestly feel it's one of those messages that we got to keep making no matter what. No matter what assessment we have. If we have hard data that says we are, you know, transforming something, 
I think there's different stories I hear and text messages I get and emails I get on our website that do signal that we're making a difference. But I don't know if those are just, you know, small dents. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and it's just being a new phenomenon. There hasn't been a lot of research and a lot of data collected and a lot of assessment being done. It is that new of a conversation. But um, I think the more we start talking about it, the more you're going to see about it, as you already alluded to. And, um, you know, as far as I can tell, I'm the only professional speaker on the market anywhere for colleges, even for corporate that's specifically speaking about this. Now, there there are other programs on sexual assault, on different behaviors that include this, and I love that they do. But when I talk to audiences, I look at it as the the overall umbrella phenomenon, and I let them see whatever it is in their life that they can attach it to and connect the dots. And like, oh, yeah, I saw that situation last week as I was walking down the street of my hometown. And somebody was, you know, whatever they were doing, and I wanted to intervene, but I didn't. They make that connection themselves. It has maybe nothing to do with sexual assault or drug and alcohol abuse but, or bullying, but it has something to do with their own personal life. Great point from Mike Dilbeck, host of the Mike Dilbeck Show, <laughs> uh, a bystander behavior uh, expert. Uh, let me ask you, um, you know, you mentioned moral compass. And from a moral point of view, uh, there's a lot of, uh, I guess, moral uh, decisions that you have to make in a split second when you see a, a situation you have to decide whether you're going to intervene what about from a from a criminal uh, point of view yeah. can a bystander be charged criminally in a court of law for not intervening to help somebody they can be so in two different sides of the coin on that um, uh, there is you're seeing more and more litigation show up where bystanders are being held accountable you can even, again, I've mentioned it, you can look at Penn State. Yeah. You know, you're, that's becoming a, I don't know that there's ever been a more vivid and layered case of bystander behavior in our history. Uh, that, something that lasted over many years and something that had so many layers of the university involved. Several people. All the way down to the janitors, allegedly. Yeah. And, and as a matter of fact, I, I now speak on a lot of college campuses, specifically to janitorial staff now because of that Penn State situation. But, um, it is, you're seeing more and more accountability being given to people who could have in that moment done something and they just, that was negligent on their part to not do that. So, and there's, there's being, you know, legal awards handed out um, or criminal cases being, you know, or guilty verdicts being given to bystanders. Um, but I should also have a responsibility to also cover on the other side of the coin, there's, um, there's litigation and there's, you know, some, there's some pretty heavy consequences at times. So I don't want to sugarcoat this issue as, you know, just being, you know, I'll go out there and act. There's been also situations where people found themselves in very negative situations from intervening. So again, you got to be safe. You got to be responsible. You got to think it out sometimes if you can. Now, sometimes if things happen in the moment and somebody's life is in danger or somebody's on a subway track, there's not a lot of thinking that goes on. A lot of times in those moments, you're just acting by gut impulse. Yeah. It's more reactionary than anything. So there are those moments. And there's other things that are happening that sometimes they happen over time that you can think about more strategically and you can think through more, maybe even talk to other people and get help with and get advice from people that know. Um, I get asked questions all the time. But again, I don't ever tell people what to do. I just lead them through the process so they can determine what they want to do. And it's their decision. They own it. It's not like, well, Mike Dilbeck told me to do this. Yeah. 
because who am I to tell anybody? To, you know, I'm not there. But, you know, it's because people have real issues that they deal with in life. You know, as I travel the country and speak, I allow my audience members to text me their stories live in real time. Yeah. Right there was on stage, and then I read some of them out loud. And they're heartbreaking, what people walk around with. The things that have happened to people, whether they've been the victims to bystander behavior, they were in a situation where they wanted somebody to intervene and nobody did. Yeah. And I tell the story about me being bullied in junior high, that that happened. But then also, they, they're very honest with me about situations that they didn't intervene. And they're, they hold that with them forever. Yeah, a lot of guilt. A lot of guilt, a lot of shame, a lot of why didn't I. And not only that, it's not even a, it is that, but I think it's even deeper than that. In those moments, we make decisions about ourselves and about life and about others. Like when I got bullied, you know, and nobody intervened, I made up that people don't care. That I'm in this world alone. Mm -hmm. I can't ever depend on people. And that's not a very great way to live your life, thinking I can't depend on people, right? I mean, I've, I've gotten past that now, and I've sorted all that out. But we also, as when we're bystanders and we don't make the difference in that moment that we want to make, we make decisions about ourselves. I really can't make a difference. Mm -hmm. I'm not the one. Somebody else needs to. And when somebody else, something else occurs in our life where we have that opportunity again, by damn, we're not going to. Mm -hmm. Because we've already done that once, we've tried, and we failed. So there's a huge impact. So not even only legally and, you know, in our litigious society, you know, and now legal attorneys are being trained to go for everybody. So beware. But also the personal, emotional, and, you know, on your confidence impact that it has on each one of us as we go through our lives. He's Mike Dilbeck. He's a national uh, spokesperson for bystander behavior, a national uh, speaker, uh, covers this issue coast to coast uh, with the colleges, I'm assuming, and, and young people across America. And you do some corporate work as well. Yeah. What's the oldest audience? You mentioned janitors at colleges. Yeah. What's the oldest audience you've spoken to? Oh, well, as far as audience, I don't know. I've had some 80, 90-year-old people. Oh, and that's your, I bet they look at you like no. you're speaking Chinese. Well, and it's interesting. They they do, because this is the deal. First of all, I should say, and I, if you don't mind me saying that, um, I'm actually the founder and president of the Responsibility Project, okay. which is the platform that I speak from. You Please, know, what are the yeah. uh, digital uh, mm -hmm. avenues we can get it's to that? RA Project. Org. And um, it's just a fully comprehensive website of resources, all based on bystander behavior. And we, we even have six problem issue areas that you could go and get resources on bullying and how to, you know, intervene against bullying, how to, you know, sexual assault, um, discrimination. So different problem issues. So I won't say a lot about it, but if anybody's interested, they go to raproject.org. I encourage people to take the Everyday Hero Pledge. We just launched the National Everyday Hero Campaign a year ago. And it really is engaging people in what does it look like to be a hero? An everyday, average, ordinary person like you and like me being a hero for others. Because I personally believe and I will argue that that's all we want to be in life. Yeah, I totally agree with that's you. That's all we want to be. Now, we're not out there with our capes on, you know, shouting it to the mountaintops. I want to be a hero. I've got a cape in my car. Oh, perfect. So do I. We'll wear them later. <laughs> so, um, but people aren't doing that because we have a screwed up relationship to the word hero. But I want people to embrace the word. I want people to live into being a hero. And what does it look like? And I want, once you do, I want you to tell everybody and inspire others to do the same. I think that's when we'll have a different society, is we can embrace the opportunity it is. Not the narcissistic, egotistical opportunity that heroism right. is related to today, but the opportunity it is to protect people, keep them safe, and... Um, have a much better world than what we live in now. And the Hero Campaign is part of the Responsibility Campaign. And what is that website again? RA Project for Responsibility Project. So it's www.raproject.org. And what is your Twitter and Facebook? And let's get okay, all that let's out get there. get it all out there. Uh, Twitter is Response 
ability, which is actually two words but made into one word. Uh, we're also that on Facebook. We have a Facebook page, Response Ability. So it's, if you put in the link, it's facebook.com backslash response period ability. That's great branding because most people don't know how to spell responsibility anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, hopefully they'll get to where they're going with our program. And, um, you know, I wanted to ask you from a, from a pop culture point of view. Sure. Uh, we're speaking with Mike Dilbeck, uh, bystander behavior expert. And we cover a lot of these issues on this broadcast between bullying and hazing and now bystander behavior. And it's changed the way I watch American pop culture, the way I listen to music, the way I watch movies and television. And an example that pops into my head, I was watching with my kids. I bring it up when, when I watch with my, with my kids, I'll bring up a bystander behavior situation when it happens in the movie. And one that pops in my head, I, and I can't watch this movie without thinking of bystander behavior. And from this point forward, I'll think of you every time I see this scene in this awesome. movie. In the movie Grease with John Travolta. Yes. Uh, there's a scene where they're in the high school hallway, it's all the T-Birds and John Travolta, and Eugene walks by. And he's kind of the geeky guy that they've picked on through the movie. And John Travolta is the star of the movie, and he's the cool guy. He's the hero. He's, he's the alpha male of the movie. His T-Birds are kind of his underlings, his minions, and they are picking on Eugene in a stairwell. They're dumping his books, they're picking at his face, they're making fun of him, and John Travolta walks up the staircase right by them, looks at them making fun of Eugene, and keeps walking and doesn't say a word. And I, you know, when I was eight years old when that movie came out, I saw it. When I was eight through 40, I never thought twice about that scene. But now that I'm familiar with bystander behavior, I watch that scene, and every time I think, Danny, come on, Danny, you should have said something. That is a beautiful example of a golden opportunity that he missed. The Adam Ritz Show is recorded live, both in studio and across the country. For information on this broadcast, including how to hear this show on a station in your city, visit adamritzshow.com.